0: I wished every one of you could have heard what Pedro said to me when he walked by me on his way to the seat. He says, glory be to God. That was so precious to me. He wasn't looking for self-exaltation. He was thankful that he could use the talent God has given him for the honor and glory of God. And that's what God is calling to us as parents to cultivate in our children. And this morning, as we talk about some of the character traits that we know are divine character traits, Christ-like character traits, it's my prayer that each of us will ask the Spirit to put in our heart how we can be more successful being under the divine gardener to cultivate these beautiful Christ-like character traits in our children. Orderliness. I remember the first time I ever did this series, we were in Australia, and the backdrop that they had, here we have curtains, but their backdrop was a full scene clear across the platform of a scene of heaven. You could see the mansions there and life-size people, felt people, and the beautiful um, gardens and and fountains. It was gorgeous, and it was so perfect of a setting, and it made me want to be in heaven. And it reminded me of the order and the beauty that there is in heaven. God wants us to cultivate orderliness here in our hearts and homes with our children. So as we study each of these topics this morning, I'm going to be covering four character qualities this morning. That series, Cultivating Christian Character, covers 18 different character qualities, how we inculcate those in our children in a positive way and not spend our parenting energy in smacking and whacking and correcting and not spend our energy in just letting them follow their self-will, but rather spend our energy under the divine leadership of Jesus Christ that we can cultivate his character traits in our children. Orderliness. I'd like to define that as simply organizing our time and our possessions in a systematic way. Making the most efficient use of all of our resources, whether that's the physical resources we have or whether that's our time resources. That is what orderliness is. Not just for us as adults, but also to cultivate that in our children, the habit of orderliness. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things, what does he say? Let all things, that little three-letter word has a very profound meaning, doesn't it? All things be done, how? Decently and in order. All things, how I keep myself, how, my, how I keep my home, how my children do their schoolwork, how they interact as siblings, everything has order to it. For God, he tells us, is not the author of confusion, but of peace. I found in my home that when my home is orderly, I find it more peaceful, more restful. When I have in the past had things undone and piles here and there of all these projects I'm going to do sometime and there's stacks of this and piles of that and clothes to fold and dishes on the sink, I find that it creates an atmosphere that, that stimulates discontent. God is a God of order and he wants us to train orderliness in our children. When my children were young, I was under the impression that children were to have fun and do what they wanted to do. So I had little Alice and the Nimley who were toddlers and they would go to the toy box and I tell you they were masters at emptying that toy box in split time. And I as I observed this, I found them they would get contention between them, because if Allison had something, it would be sure the one thing that Emily wanted, or vice versa, or there would be all these things out on the floor and they really weren't playing with anything, they were just kind of taking this and taking that and setting that back down and grabbing something else, they were overstimulated, the Lord called in my heart, teach your children orderliness in a very simple way, one thing out at a time. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you only have one doll, but pick the doll you want to play with and the clothes you want to play with that doll. If the children, when they were little, wanted to play with their dish set, then I would get the dish set down for them. And then before the dolls came out or before the trucks came out or before they went on to something else, I would teach them to put those things away. That required time on my part. Time to be there to observe them, to interact, to encourage them in their play. And time to be there to help them be successful in cultivating order. Because they couldn't get the dishes back up on the shelf in the closet where they went. So I would come and after they put them in the little plastic box I had for them, then I would be there to put them in the shelf. Cultivating order. One thing out at a time. That's what the Lord showed me for my children. Then the Lord showed that for me as an adult, because I liked to do things. I had lots of ideas, and I had very little time to do all the things I wanted to do. And so for me, it was starting a project one at a time and bringing it to completion. Now, in my kitchen, in the old days, I had a junk drawer. It was a drawer where all those things went that you didn't know where else to put. And the order of that drawer was the same as the title or the name I gave that drawer, Junk. Now, everything in the drawer was useful and was necessary, but it was just junked in there. While the rest of my drawers were nice, this one, because of the name I gave it, I kept it according to its name. And the Lord, one day, as I opened the drawer, well, I should say, as I tried to open the drawer, because it was jammed, called to my heart, and he said, Elaine, how many junk drawers are you going to have in heaven? Well, I couldn't think I would have any there. How about you? So why am I having a junk drawer on earth? I mean, isn't that simple? That's how God speaks to our hearts in this still, small voice calling us to his character of orderliness. I still have a drawer in my kitchen. I have changed its name. It's miscellaneous. (laughs) And it has a place for everything. And I never have to jam, get it shut or try to jam it or pull the jam open because it has order. It's got my, I have a hammer and a screwdriver and all those women utensils that we need. I have those items and other things in there, and it's my miscellaneous stores, those things that don't go with the silverware, the serving spoons, and those kind of things, but something that I need from time to time, and it's handy. Cultivating order in our homes. Keeping our clothes tidy. The Lord called to my heart. My closet used to be just as... Wherever the space was is where it was hung. Now my closet... Is skirts in one place, long sleeve blouses in one place, short sleeve blouses in one place, dresses hanging in a place. And when I walk into my closet, I feel at rest. I don't feel tension or stress or all those things that disorder brings subconsciously. Cultivating that in my children, I've helped them learn how to have their closets orderly. And each within their personality. Some of mine prefer to hang by colors than by seasons. But there's order to it according to their individuality. Folding things neatly and putting them away in the drawer. It's so nice to be able to go to the drawer and know that what you're looking for is going to be there. And that it's going to be easy and accessible even how the towels hang on the kitchen towel rack or the bathroom towel rack. I find myself going in and and just straightening up the towel so it hangs neatly. And without saying anything, because my children have seen that order in the home, I notice that when they get done drying their their hands on the towel, instead of leaving it as it falls, they straighten it up and walk out. Cultivating order. Do you understand that the most important way we cultivate the characteristics of Christ is by being willing to allow Christ to change us as parents? To be the proper example. And that's really what the wise man was saying in the book of Proverbs when he says, Train up a child in the way he should go. That means in the ways of God. The way he should go is the ways of God. Train them up in In God's ways, in the character of God. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Cultivating the order, the habit of orderliness. That means how we handle everything in the home, how we do our schoolwork, how we keep our drawers, how we keep our vehicles. I remember we were flying from Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia. The flight is about 15 to 16 hours nonstop, depending upon the wind. It's a long time to be sitting on an airplane. I don't like those long flights. I get kind of heebie-jeebie. I got to get, you know, walking and air and things like that. So I spent a lot of time going up and down the aisle. But just across from where I was sitting, there was this little girl. And I noticed a habit she had developed. That when she, as the, the flight attendant would bring by the meal tray, anything that she didn't want, she just dropped it on the floor. And the little headphones, they come in a cellophane thing. She got the paper and she dropped it on the floor. Well, as I was watching, there was this little stack of all kind of trash and food bits and everything piling up on the floor beside her in the aisle. And from time to time, the flight attendant might pick it up. Well, the mother saw the flight attendant bending down and picking the trash up off the floor. And she said to her little girl, now, you can't do that. Don't throw your trash on the floor anymore. And what did the little girl say, who was probably about six or seven? So she wasn't tiny. She was old enough to know better. What do you think she said to her mother? Okay. Okay. She was happy to agree. Is that all we do as parents? Well, the next thing that came along, I watched. The little girl just wads it up and just takes it over the edge and just drops it. And the mother got really upset. I told you to stop dropping the stuff on the floor. So she gets up out of her seat, crosses over her child, gets down on the floor and picks it up and stuffs it in the seat pocket. And then an hour or so later, the same thing happens again. And each time the mother is scolding the little girl, but the mother is not following through. The mother is doing the very thing she wants the child to do, And she's cultivating the opposite character trait of what she's trying to tell her child is right. If we cultivate truly with God working in us, we will have our children be the ones to get down and pick up the trash they've dropped on the floor. It was interesting because later on in the flight, we were getting close to Sydney, and they were coming along with the the little towels, the freshen-up towels they give you. And this little girl had finished using this little wet towel and she went like this and as she did she turned around and I looked and I gave her a big smile and she put it back in her lap (laughs) encouraging the right in a positive way rather than just speaking harshly and negative to our children what they're doing wrong it can just be a smile to encourage the right it can be a word of encouragement To put it away right. Cultivating orderliness. Now, one of the other things I found as a parent, we have two ways of parenting. We can either just lay out the law and tell our children, this is right and you better do it. Or we can exemplify the laws of God are laws of love and liberty. And I can remember numerous times when we're clearing the table, and our children have taken turns through the years of each being responsible for the kitchen. They rotated on a weekly basis, either the breakfast meal or the supper meal, and their responsibility was to clear the table, first of all to make the meal, and then after the meal was over to clear the table, to put the food away, to wash dry and put away all the dishes, one child, as they were older. When they were younger, they used to work together. And as they got older, they became independent so they could learn how to do it all on their own. Well, I noticed that the difference between my daughter's clearing the table and my son clearing the table. We have a wood cook stove, and what we often do is take the paper napkins when we're done. Anything that's burnable, we just throw it in the stove because that cuts down our hauling of our trash. We don't have a trash truck that comes by every week or twice a week and picks up our little piles. We have to haul it to a dumpster. So to cut down on the amount of trash it collects, anything that burns, we burn. And so here's my son. He opens the top of the cook stove, and instead of doing like I would do, just picking the napkins up and going and dropping them in, he stands on the other side of the kitchen table, and he throws them in. Is that all right? I didn't have a problem with that. He still clearing the table. He's still putting them where they need to be. He's just made something fun out of it. Now, if he was starting to throw food in the kitchen, I would have a problem with that. But he was simply doing his job in his personality. Now, he doesn't always do that. But we can give our children, our young people, a little bit of individuality And he's still being orderly in getting the trash where it belongs. He's just doing it in a different way, in a more fun way for him and his personality. So I must tell you that just the other day, as we were all picking up our plates at the table, my husband took his napkin and wadded it up. And he asked me to open the cook stove lid. And he threw his in, and then Josiah had a turn, and then pretty soon anyone that didn't go away, we were all throwing our napkins. It was, we threw them until they they landed in the spot, and we had a good time. It would took us a minute or two. We had some good family recreation right after the meal. The table was cleared, the napkins were where they should be, and uh, it made the kitchen orderly, and it made our time together enjoyable. Now I use that illustration, because we have the opportunity to enter into our young people's desires, their ages, and to make life enjoyable for them while we still cultivate Christ-like characters. We don't allow them to throw the napkins at each other or throw things that are inappropriate. But we aren't so rigid that we say you can't throw anything or learn the skill of hand-eye coordination if it can be appropriate another way we cultivate reg, uh, orderliness in our homes is by regularity having a schedule and I found as a mother a schedule is vital my life used to be scheduled whenever I went to work I was very scheduled I did ICU nursing I was very scheduled but at home it's like you get up when you wake up you eat when you're hungry you get to it when you have time And the only thing that has a schedule about it is anything that's outside of the home. And so I found that when I would take my little ones to church, they were very squirmy and fussy and discontent. Because they had not learned how to sit every day. They had learned to do what they felt like doing. And I didn't have a schedule in the home. And God called to my heart, you need a schedule, a rising time for your girls, a time for worship, a time to eat that they can expect that they're going to have a meal, a time for cleanup, a time for play, a time for work. And so I began to bring my life under the discipline of Jesus Christ in a schedule. Because the Lord, when he created this world, created in perfect timing, doesn't he? And so we can calculate as man to the nth degree split second the time when the millennium changed. Our post office in Eureka, Montana was built just before the year 2000. And they put this new digital clock up on the wall. And it was counting down to the new year, to the new millennium by the hundredth of a second. Is God precise? Amen. He's orderly. He's precise. He is scheduled. And all the universe runs in orderly fashion. And God wants our lives to run in orderly fashion. And so I found that the trouble I was having in church with my children is because all the other days of the week, they could do what they wanted to do at 11 o'clock. And the Lord called in my heart when they were just toddlers. 11 o'clock every day bring them into the living room, take time for them, sit down and read them a story. And it went from five minutes at first to growing them into 10 minutes and then to 15 minutes and 20 minutes and pretty soon we could spend a half an hour, 40 minutes. And I found a remarkable change in church. Every week it got better and better until my children, even as young children, could sit in church and be content to be sitting through having schedule and regularity. One of the things that has helped us besides having a family schedule is to write down things that need to be done. That helps keep the home in order and keep the family on schedule and a set time for which that work is to be done in. And that really will decrease our frustration. As parents, when we began to teach our children responsibilities and chores, and I was homeschooling three children, I found that the devil has a way of taking our human weakness and agitating that very easily through the lack of order and schedule. And one of the things that I found in my weakness was that if I just allowed my children to take as long as they wanted to take doing the lesson, I felt under pressure because I knew they had to get their English done and they had to get their spelling done and they had to get their reading done and they had to get the math done. And how can I do all this in this amount of time if I just let them take two hours to do a math lesson? So God called to my heart, set realistic times and work within those times. So order and regularity and scheduling is very much a part of the character of God. And God wants it to be very much a part of the character in our children and in our homes, as well as in our own lives. Order and schedule and regularity has also then brought me to recognize the need for diligence, which is the second character quality I'd like to discuss this morning. Diligence. Working hard and carefully and steadily to complete a task. Working hard, carefully and steadily until the task is completed. Proverbs 10, verse 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. What is God telling us through the wise men? If we allow slackness and slothfulness to become a part of a child's character, when they grow older and they enter into life themselves, they will become poor, maybe physically or financially poor, because they've never learned how to persevere, to be diligent. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It means that they know how to start something and bring it to completion. When they start a job, they can hold a job, and they know how to manage the job. <coughs> Proper occupations and diligence. When I was thinking of math, I remember we were traveling across the U.S. We were doing long, my girls were doing long division in the car. We'd take school with us. And as they were doing this, I noticed they were bogging down and bogging down. And the Lord just called to my heart, stop. Don't just have them do the math lesson and take two and a half hours to do the math lesson. Stop. Have them do one problem and you do the problem with them. I had a piece of paper. They had a piece of paper. I said, girls, let's see how fast we can do this problem. And so we did it. That little bit of encouragement, working for the side of diligence in the math, oh, look, they did it in less than a minute then why should it take two and a half hours to do 60 problems? Because I was allowing slothful behavior to be cultivated. Diligence, cultivating diligence means that we give them our time and energy to take things that are difficult and put them in short periods of time and help our child see how they can accomplish those and master those and then stretch it. So then we tried a row. See if you can do the row in a certain amount of time. And they did it in less time than I gave them. And then do the next row. And do you know that lesson was done in 45 minutes? A lesson that the day before drug on and on and on because there's a lot of repetition in those early years in math. Diligence. Making it interesting. Interesting. We have a photo album on the table, and I, we just redid our photo album before we came to camp meeting, because many people saw our old photo album, where we lived, and say, oh, he just had it easy, and in there, we have taken you back to where we first bought our property and showed you, show you the progress, and in those early years of cultivating Christian character, I was have my children out in the garden with me, we're going to pull weeds, And so my children, who are probably Josiah's three, maybe four, and then six and seven would be the girls, you see them hanging upside down over the fence rail into the garden pulling weeds. Now, I would have no desire to pull weeds upside down, but they enjoyed it. And so every time it was time to weed that bed, that's what they liked to do when they were little. It made their work fun, but they were diligent at it. And then when we came to the beds inside, there was no fence. I mean, they were away from the fence line. Then they would sit with me and we would pull the weeds. But when we got to the edge of the fence, they liked to hang upside down and pull the weeds upside down. It made their work fun, but they were cultivating diligence, staying with the job. We would take two beds a day, and each week we would rotate and be able to weed the entire garden by taking little bits at a time. As they grew older, they had no more the desire to hang over the fence railing. And so we looked for ways to make their work fun. So we named all of the items in our garden. We gave them the character qualities, and that's where we really started beginning to study the character qualities I did with my children in the home. And we named the onions, the onions of obedience and peas of patience. And so we named each of the vegetables, and we would weed that bed. And when we were in the onion bed, we would talk about how we cultivate obedience, how we develop patience in working with the peas and potting those peas. Peas take a lot of work. If you, if you don't eat the pod and you're going to take them out and you're going to can them, it takes a lot of peas to fill up a jar. So it creates, gives us an opportunity to cultivate patience. And as we went through the garden, we would talk about each of these character qualities. But we culti- we're cultivating diligence in the work. Bringing the task through to completion. We never left the garden until our, our task that we had agreed to do was done. Those beds were weeded, and then we were done. We could move on to playtime or recreation or personal time or another project, whatever it was that needed to be done. Diligence, working hard, Working carefully, that means all of the weeds were out of the bed, not just lopped off at the top with a hoe, but they were actually pulled out by the root and working steadily until the job was done. Picking up sticks in the yard. I can remember many times every spring we would go through the yard and either pick up sticks or stones because the the ground as the frost comes out, heaves up, we're 75% gravel. So every year we have a new crop of rocks that come up through the yard and the children take the wagon back and forth, back and forth through the yard and they would pick up the sticks and the stones and they made their work fun. They would get done and they would sit on their load and they would ride down the hill to the place that we called the landfill. And it was a place in our backyard that the property, the hill, kind of dropped off. And we have actually created a very much larger area there just by picking up sticks and stones in the yard and, and um, all the debris that keeps falling year after year. Diligence, making a work, doing our work thoroughly, carefully, quickly, until it's brought to completion. When the children were younger, putting their toys away. We need to cultivate diligence. It's not enough to say, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We must help our children develop the habit of being diligent, that whatever they do, they do it to the best of their ability. Let's talk about faithfulness. Do you see how these build on one another? when we have order and schedule in the home, we are actually in in cultivating. Now we're actually cultivating diligence. And when we work with diligence, we're cultivating faithfulness. You can't just say, okay, for the next five weeks, we're going to just work on faithfulness because it doesn't stand alone. When we work with faithfulness, we are cultivating those other qualities of Christ alongside them. But in our home, what we did is each week we started with one and focused on that one. The next week we added one. Maybe it was obedience and self-control. The third week we added another one. The fourth week we added another one. Never losing what we gained, but rather building on what we had gained. Faithfulness is fulfilling responsibilities in a trustworthy way. Knowing what is right and choosing to do what is right. Again, the best way we cultivate is through example. It's, the Lord has called often to my heart so many times in every area of these character qualities because by my nature, by my natural self, I am weak in these areas. So as God calls to my heart, he reminds me that my children are simply mirrors of who we as the parents are. And he taught me that very, very early in this process. He gave me laryngitis. God gave me the opportunity and and the beautiful um, trial of having laryngitis. And what he showed me in this time when my voice was totally gone was that my children, while the only thing I could get out was a whisper, that's how they responded to me. Everybody was whispering to Mother. And I would say, You don't have to whisper. And they'd say, okay, Mother, we won't whisper. (laughs) And the Lord showed me, my children are simply mirrors of who we are. Faithfulness. Am I a faithful wife and mother in the home? Or do I make excuses for my weaknesses and have expectations of my children that I don't have of myself? Being trustworthy. Jesus says through Luke in verse 16, 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that, the next verse says, He that is unjust in the littlest will be unjust in the biggest. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in the little things. Trust is earned. Our children did not become trustworthy because they got to be 16 years old or 18 years old. That is a false concept. When a child is old enough by the law of your state to drive, he is trustworthy to have the keys to the car. That is man's philosophy. That is not God's philosophy. Our child is old enough by the laws of the land to drive and by the laws of God when they can be trusted with those car keys. When our children reach the age, and for all you young people, they love this, in Montana, you only have to be 14 and a half to get your trainer permit. So, that in itself has motivated many young people to want to move to Montana. Because in some states, you have to wait till you're 16. And many young people are just so anxious to be able to drive. And so, in Montana, at 14 and a half, when each of our children reached 14 and a half, we gave them the opportunity to take driver's education. In a private course, as God gave us that opportunity, through private tutorage from the public school teacher, is a homeschool class. And he says, they're my best students because they respected their teacher, they appreciated what he had to do, and they thanked him for his time. Trust having developing faithfulness is trustworthiness and so once Allison was old enough to drive now at 15 and she no longer needed a licensed driver in the front seat with her I could say Allison would you go to Eureka and go to the post office and go to the bank and stop by the store and this is your list. And she was happy to do that. And I knew that within a certain frame of time, she would be back home. And I could hear her coming every time. I could trust her that she wasn't going to stop off in the library and cruise through the latest magazines or novels or whatever is there. She simply did her job. She was being useful, diligent, and maturing in trust. And she was giving more and more responsibility. More and more things that she could do. Now, I know of another situation where the young man, because he was old enough to drive, he got the keys to the car after he had driver's ed, and he was old enough to be independent without another licensed driver. And when he went to town, he stopped by the bowling alley. Only for a few minutes. His parents didn't know. Because he was not honest with them. And they were not sensitive to the amount of time that it should take him to do the errands he was given to do. So that 20 minutes at the bowling alley was the seed to begin to introduce him into the wrong ways. He made friendships there in an environment that is worldly and wicked. And it was one of the things that led him to rebel in his home. So before you hand the keys over... Know if your child is trustworthy. They are not trustworthy because they are an age. Trust is earned. And so all through these early years and through their teen years, you as a parent under God, listen to the Spirit, call to your heart, observe your children, know the hearts of your children, know their character, and know that you can trust them so that they are safe to go into the world with all of its attractions to evil and all of its distractions to spiritual things, that you can know that when they go into the world, they will not be of the world, but they will be of the heavenly kingdom. Encourage your child to be faithful in everything they do. In the school lessons, bringing it through to completion. In their recreation, in every aspect of their lives. Encourage them to faithfulness. When they haven't been thorough, don't finish the job for them. Call them back. But when you call them in, don't go like, what is wrong with you? How come you? Is that motivating? Honey, come on back in the house. Come in the bedroom and the clothes are not folded yet. It could be that simple. It may need more firmness. There may need to be consequences if the child, if you're starting to see the unfaithfulness in little things left undone, not brought through to completion and being unfaithful. So in those things, they may have to give them more work or more cor- or, or correction in some line or another. But we want to focus on what is our spirit when we are cultivating the character. Of, are we cultivating the character of Christ? Are we cultivating the spirit of of the human flesh. Many parents allow their child to do a partial job and say things like this, and I know because I have said them, that's good enough, that's good enough. Well, is it done to its completion? Or they may say, never mind, just leave it alone, I'll do it. These responses that we give may seem helpful in the moment because of the pressures that are on us. But what we find is they begin to cultivate the lack of faithfulness. We're actually cultivating the opposite of what we're trying to do when we give them responsibilities. So help the child to bring their jobs through to its finish, being faithful in all the responsibilities and knowing what is right to do and making that choice to do it. And when you see your child knowing what is right to do and you know they know what is right to do and they choose not to do it, then is when we pull back on the freedom that they have. We pull back on giving them extra time, giving them that association because they're not managing it right. And we help to cultivate the faithfulness in the home, in the little things, and cultivate the decision-making process in the home. Therefore, when they go out, they are much more effective, and they are quicker to hear the Spirit as it calls to them in the little things when they're not in our presence. Faithfulness in the little things. <laughs> generosity. Let's take a few minutes and discuss the character quality of generosity. Now, when I used to think of that word, I thought it meant that I was generous with what I had, meaning Generous with my offerings, generous with our funds to the cause of God. But generosity, as we understand it through Scripture, is much more than what we do with money. It's how we live our lives. Because generosity means that we will gladly and unselfishly give not just of our means, our money, but we will give of our time, we will give of our talents. We will give of ourself for the betterment of our children, for the betterment of God's cause, and for the betterment of others. We begin to cultivate generosity in the home in the form of sharing when children are small. And some people say, well, they, I only have one child. I don't ha- they don't have a sibling. That's okay. Have them share with you. We teach our child the process when they're little of sharing, which begins to cultivate the habit of being generous. Now, I have done this, and I have noticed this happens. When you get older children, and they're all excited about having the new baby sister, the new baby brother. I can remember when Emily was born. Allison would load her little infancy. She would almost bury her sister in bringing her all these things which Emily didn't even want because she was too small to even know. She would just get all these things piled up on her. So with her, I had to work on one side of being not overly generous or overly sharing, but with another child, and sometimes this happens when the child's younger, they want, they want, they want, and the parent says, now let him have it, let him have it, let him have it, trying to make the younger sibling happy. And it really is not cultivating. It it appears to be cultivating sharing and generosity for the older child, but you're creating a very selfish child in the younger one. Sharing goes both ways. The younger shares with the older. The older shares with the younger. Sharing their toys. One of the ways we cultivated generosity is when we moved to the country and we simplified our life, I found out that we had so much fun and simple nature. We no longer needed all the boxes and boxes of toys. That's that's the worldly program for entertainment and discontent. God's program is simple and natural. And so our children became happy with just being able to be outside and having freedom outside in the yard and a sandbox and a swing set and a tricycle or a bicycle and a couple of trucks. And they really didn't need all these boxes of toys. And so as we would bring them out, and each year in our area, they have a special boxes they put out by the stores. And they're, the boxes are, says, Toys for Tots. Maybe have that in this area. And my children go home, oh mother, I want to get something and share with with these children. Because they said, What's this box for, mother? And I explained to them, there are many children who don't have anything. Maybe they don't even have a mother and a father. And so they were very motivated. They'd go home and they'd find a toy and they'd want to bring a toy there. And you know where the struggle came in? They often are much more generous than we are. They pick their best to share. And I found myself saying, well, you know, why don't you get rid of this? And let's keep that. I mean, I'm kind of sentimentally attached to this. And so the Lord called in my heart, let them share what God has put in their heart. Let them give their best. That's okay. Don't give them the rags. Give them your riches. Give them the best. And so we cultivated that. Children are naturally much more sensitive. They're easier to work with in any and every one of the character qualities of Christ than we as adults. It is the selfish nature that we have cultivated for so long that makes these character qualities difficult. But our children are much more receptive. So encourage that and let our children teach us how to share and be generous. Sharing their clothes... There are, there's a particular family in our valley that we've come very, very close to. They're precious. They have 14 children. And that mother is an encouragement to me. Anytime I start feeling sorry for myself, like I'm overworked, I think about Valentina and I think, oh, Lord, she is just a go get a woman. I mean, I've never seen the woman down. And her children are 18 and under, and there are 14 of them, and she only has one set of twins. She homeschooled the first eight or seven, but by the time she started having number 9, 10, and 11, she sent them to public school. They're not of our faith, but she's a committed woman. And she can run circles around me in what that woman can do. But they are struggling. They are uh, immigrants to this country. And financially, it's very difficult for the father to earn enough to hardly keep the family fed and clothed, and they clothe their family through thrift stores. And they're not embarrassed. And I say, praise the Lord. And my young people love to go shopping for this family. They like it at the thrift stores. But they go in, and when my daughter Allison was in California going to school, she went to a store and she says, oh, I think Agnesa would like this. She would buy something new for her so she could have something new for her. It cultivating generosity. Now I didn't think of them in that way, but my children did. And cultivating generosity, we need to encourage that in our children. And they will pick up the spirit because it is more truly more blessed to give than to receive. And the apostle Paul says it like this God loves a cheerful giver. There's no, there's no negative about oh I, you know, I'm gonna to have to spend ten dollars for this for her. There's nothing negative. God loves a cheerful giver, and you know who gets the greatest blessing? Those who give. To see the joy of those who receive. Generosity in sharing of our time. We've cultivated that. I have learned to do that with my children. There's certain times every day that's kind of like my time where they have other responsibilities. But God's often called to my heart, teach generosity by sharing your time. I'll walk in the kitchen and say, okay, I can give you ten minutes of my time. What do you want me to do to help? Even though it's not my responsibility to clean the kitchen, it's their chore. It's their responsibility. Generosity and sharing time. I'll give you ten minutes of my time. What would you like me to do? And one child always has me wash because that is their least favorite job. Another child says, mother, whatever you want to do. And I said, no, you must choose. I won't choose. But giving of our time. And when I began to give my time in this way, I started seeing my children walk in and help their sibling with their chores without being asked to. Wanting to help their brother or their sister doing a job that wasn't their responsibility. But wanting to help them so they can get done. Giving of our time. We've given of our time in in work projects, helping other families. Other families have helped us put up a fence, put in grow beds, new grow beds. We've helped other people build homes, get a place started for them in the country. Helping people gather wood or people helping us. It's so much fun to do it together. And that was the spirit that this country had years ago. You talk to the grandparents and I remember Grandpa, he said, when they harvested this farm, everybody in the, in the village went and everybody harvested Mr. Jones' wheat. And the next day, they'd harvest Mr. Brown's wheat. And the next day, and they worked together. And they were a happy, tight community. We have become a selfish nation because we focused on what I want, regardless of it, what anybody else has or does. And we see the fruit of that. Cultivating generosity, cultivating an unselfish giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, helps us to be sensitive and to be more Christ-like. Now, as I've gone through these different character qualities in each of these areas, I've tried to say, Lord, is there someone in the Bible There's many people in the Bible I love to read his word I get so inspired And I see deeper lessons Every time I go back When I study these character qualities I see deeper lessons In the lives of God's faithful Recorded from Genesis to Revelation And so when I go back I said, Lord, is there anyone Any one person in scripture Who shows these character qualities In their life Just these four Because we know if they have these four They have other ones too, don't they? And so the Lord brought to, brought to my mind Ruth, Ruth. I also thought of Nehemiah, and I went back and I read through Nehemiah and I read through Ruth, and really both of those very clearly express through their life, through the testimony, the book written of their lives, these character qualities. But I want to share with Ruth, in the in the area of generosity, Ruth 1.16, she says, "Entreat me not to leave thee. You remember the situation. She lost her husband." She was now staying with her poor mother-in-law and her widowed sister-in-law. And so Naomi now wants to leave the foreign country. She wants to go back to her homeland, her people, the children of Israel. And Ruth, thinking not of herself, but thinking of her her older mother-in-law, wanted to go with her. And and Naomi says, No, Ruth, you stay here with your people. You're young. You're beautiful. You've, You've got a whole life ahead of you. And Ruth says... Because she learned, she learned generosity. She had the spirit of God working in her heart. She says, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whether you go, I will go. And I'm going to put it modern day. And where you lodge, I'll lodge. And your people, they're going to be my people. And your God will be my God. She was a redeemed child from a wicked and perverse nation. She became a child of God. That's what God wants in our homes. We are all wicked by nature. We are all evil in ourselves. But with Christ, he wants to transform us and make us into his children, preparing us for his heavenly kingdom. And so here Ruth, she gave of herself, her time, her talent. She invested herself for the sake of her mother-in-law. And then she, when she got back to Israel... She followed the order of Israel's customs. She no longer followed the practices and customs of her heathen nation. She became part of the order of how things ran in Israel. And so instead of going ahead and doing what she wanted to do, she followed the custom. And as you remember, she went into the field to glean. She didn't go out ahead of the pickers and pick the easy stuff. She gleaned what was falling behind through the order of how gleaning was done in the children of Israel's time. So she followed that, and she, she was diligent. Every day she gleaned enough wheat or enough barley to sustain she and her mother-in-law. She never had an abundance. She never became wealthy from being a gleaner, but she was content with the role God had given her. So she was orderly and she was diligent day after day after day. So diligent that you remember Boaz took note of her and says, Well, who is this lady out here? Because there were lots of gleaners out there. This woman was diligent. And she did her work. And she never complained. She did all that God wanted her to do. She was faithful in her duty to Naomi. She was all so faithful in all that God was creating this woman to be, that she was known in the city as a virtuous woman. She could be trusted. That's why Naomi said, Go out after night. Go to the fields where they're reaping the harvest. And when Boaz lays down there, go and lay at his feet. And God will direct you. And she was a pure woman who laid at his feet. And you know the rest of the story. And she maintained her virtue. And she allowed God to work out through her faithfulness to him. He worked out a tremendous blessing for her. I want to encourage you as you cultivate these character traits in your children. They cannot be done in and of ourselves. They must be done as we are sensitive to allow God to work in our hearts. And go back into His Word. And as you read through about all these people that you know a little bit about, think of the character qualities that God has instilled and the lessons we learn from them and how they have become a great blessing in their lives. So as we cultivate these these character qualities... The, we will, in all of these areas, be cultivating the most precious of all character qualities love. Love to God, love in the home for one another, and love to our fellow man. We will never want to exalt ourselves above others, we will never want to fall into pity and self despair and be a bad example of what a Christian should be. We will learn in this process to cultivate the tender plant of love, that it will grow and it will nurture and it will blossom into beautiful fruit. And others will say, I want to know your Jesus. I want to know your God. I want to know that it's possible that we can have a happy family, that my children can be happy and obedient, and that they can be all these things. I didn't know it was possible. God wants to cultivate his character in us and in our children. And my heart cried to you as it is for myself. Let's cooperate with him, and let's allow him to cultivate our hearts, that stony heart, and let him make it tender and soft. And as we allow that, let us work in cooperation with Him to cultivate His character in the hearts of our children. And we will be then in a beautiful relationship with our Savior. And we will be not fearful of what is ahead. We will be longing for what lies ahead. In closing, I've asked Kathy if she will dismiss us in prayer. As we kneel together... Let's ask God to put it in our hearts to be more diligent gardeners for the hearts of our children. And let's ask Him to help us to be sensitive as how we can cultivate His precious character into the lives of our children in the home. Shall we kneel together?
1: Dear kind Heavenly Father, we come to you with praise and thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. We thank you for these camp meetings and for the messages that you give us through these speakers, for the calling to our hearts. Lord, we praise you for the things that you are doing in many families and the restoration that you've brought into my family and to our friends. Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, I pray that you will be with us, that you will help us to cultivate these Christian character traits into our children. Lord, help us to see in our children what we are. Lord, help us to be aware and help us not to ignore those things, Lord. Sometimes it's easier to ignore them and hope that they go away, but they only grow. Lord, lead us to listen to your voice. Help us to be sensitive to your word and help us to pick up the work. Lord, for we are told that the greatest evidence of a Christian, uh, the power of Christianity is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. Lord, may each one of us continue to pursue that. In your Son's wonderful name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio,